This is John from the freegiftfromgod.com podcast. And today I'm continuing on with the series I've been doing on the fruits of the Spirit. And I want to look at the fruit of goodness. Now, I hear so many people say that God is good, and he is good. But what does it mean to be good? Because I also hear people who don't believe in Christ say that, well, they're okay because they are good people. But how do they measure that? And what is the standard of goodness? Goodness is one of the fruits of the Spirit, and it's something that develops in Christians as they grow and walk in the Spirit. It's part of the work of transformation being done in us to make us into the image of Jesus Christ. As God is good, so too we must learn to be good as well. So today we will look at the various aspects of goodness in the Bible to learn a little more about this important aspect of the Christian life. So our objectives today are to learn what goodness means in a Christian context, and to gain an understanding of what goodness looks like. The first scripture I want to have a look at is in Mark chapter 10, and I'm reading verses 17 and 18. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Now, this is an interesting scripture because it completely shatters the whole position of those people who don't believe in Christ and yet think that they're good people. Because even Jesus Christ, who was probably the the most um, good person that ever existed on the earth, even he said of himself, he says, why do you call me good? It's interesting because this man asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But before he even answered that question, he said, well, why do you call me good? He says, no one's good but God alone, God the Father. So in terms of goodness, the standard is God the Father. The standard that is set is the standard of goodness that God the Father showed. So that is the standard of goodness. No one is good but God alone. And even Jesus didn't claim to be good because he recognised that all goodness comes from the Father. And we see that in the next scripture, which is over in the book of Titus. And I'm reading uh, chapter 3, verses 3 to 9. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by men and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of deeds done by us in righteousness, but in virtue of his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit, which he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that we might be justified by his grace and become heirs in hope of eternal life. The saying is sure. I desire you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to apply themselves to good deeds. These are excellent and profitable to men. But avoid stupid controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels over the law, for they are unprofitable and futile. Now here we see that all of the goodness that exists came to us from God. And says there back in verse 4, he says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared. So this is the source of all goodness. All goodness comes from God and from our Saviour. And he saved us, in verse 5, not because of deeds done by us in righteousness. I mean, let's face it, no one is righteous. No person on this earth is righteous of themselves. The only righteousness we have is that that's been given to us as a free gift from God. But he saved us, not because of deeds done in righteousness, but in virtue of his own mercy. Why? Because he is good. 
when it talks about being in virtue, well, virtue or to be virtuous is another way of being good. And by, by virtue of his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit. Now, the washing of regeneration is baptism and the renewal in the Holy Spirit is the transforming power that is at work in us to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ, which is the work of the Holy Spirit. And he poured these things out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that we might be justified by his grace and become heirs in the hope of eternal life. And that's where we are. And then he goes on in verse 8 and he says, The saying, sure, I desire you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to apply themselves to good deeds. These are excellent and profitable to men. Now, when he's talking about profitable, he's not talking about money. He's talking about these are good for people. They are excellent in terms of they do good things. They do good things for people. They help people. They care about people. And this is what the goodness is. These are these good deeds. The good deeds are those things that help other people because we are called to serve just as Jesus came to serve. And he goes on in verse 9 and he says, But avoid stupid controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels over the law, for they are unprofitable and futile. Now, all of these things have happened in the church from time to time. There are controversies that go on. There are people who believed, and it was more about uh, the Jews, about um, the fact that they had to trace their genealogy back to Abraham so that they could prove that they were part of the nation of Israel and the uh, chosen people of God. But he's saying genealogies are pointless because when we come to Christ, our genealogy, who our parents were and who our, uh, our forebears were, is not important. It doesn't matter. And dissensions, and there are plenty of dissensions, dissensions and quarrels over the law. There are a lot of dissensions in the church. I mean, the mere fact that we have so many different uh, sects and groups and denominations within the church is proof of the dissensions that have gone on over the centuries. Um, one group of people will dissent with another group of people and they'll split and form a separate church. And that's what all these dissensions are. And quarrels over the law. Well, one of the things we see in the law, and this is one of the things that Jesus was so critical about with the Pharisees, is because they would look at the points of the law and try and create some wiggle room in the law. And we are not to do that. This is not what we have been called to do. So moving on, we go over into the next scripture, which is in uh, Hebrews. And I'm looking at uh, chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then commit apostasy, since they crucify the Son of God on their own account and hold him up to contempt. Now, again, this is an interesting thing here. It talks about them in that verse 5, about having tasted the goodness of the word of God. Now, there is great goodness in God's word. When we read the Bible, we find, we find in the Bible all that we need to know about Jesus, about um, God the Father, about learning how to walk as Jesus walked, to live the Christian life. This is all found in the Bible. And so we have tasted the goodness of the word of God. And we have seen the powers of the age to come because we have seen spiritual things. We have come into Christ and we have learned spiritual things, not the things of this world. These things in the world are going to pass away, but we are learning the things of the spirit that are eternal. And of course, he talks in this, this section about those people, if they then commit apostasy, okay, to commit apostasy means to turn their back on all of this, if they reject all of this. 
And it says, since they crucify the Son of God on their own account and hold him up to contempt. Now, we believe as Christians in the resurrection. We believe that Christ is alive. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he lived. He died and he was in the uh, in the grave for three days. And then he rose again and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, these people, when they commit apostasy, is they reject that. And so they say, no, Christ is dead. They crucify Christ in contempt and on their own account, and they reject him, and they say, no, Christ is dead. And that's basically what they've done. So going on to the next scripture, I'm going over into Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm reading from verses 6 down to 14. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is a shame even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it is said, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. So what we see in this is that Jesus is the light. And the fruit, it says there in verse 9, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So this is our aim, to find what is good and right and true. How do we find what's good and right and true? Well, we follow Christ. I mean, we, we need to read and learn what it says in the scripture. We need to do the things that he told us to do. He said to be baptized into into uh, his death so that we can take on his death as our own and be set free from sin and be set free from the law and to receive the free gift of righteousness from God. And that's one of the first things we need to do. We need to repent also prior to that. We need to receive the Holy Spirit and learn how to walk in the Spirit so that we can grow into the image of Jesus Christ because it's by learning how to walk in the Spirit that we gain the victory over the flesh. These are the things that Jesus has established for us in the new covenant. These are the gifts of God that he's given to us. And this is how we learn all that is good and right and true and try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And then anything that's dark, we need to expose because anything that is in the darkness, anything that is evil or wrong or lies or untruths, and there are plenty of those about in this world, any of those things, when they are exposed by the light, this is the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, they become visible for what they are. For anything that becomes visible is then in the light. So the next scripture I want to go into is over in the book of Titus. And I'm going to read Titus uh, chapter 1, verses 7 to 9. For a bishop, as God's steward, now, a bishop, before I go on, he's talking about the elders of the church. For a bishop, as God's steward, must be blameless. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of goodness, master of himself, upright, holy, and self-controlled. He must hold firm to the sure word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to confute those who contradict it. Now, He's talking about bishops or elders in the church, the leaders in the church. This is what he's talking about. But these same, uh, these same attributes or these same, um, same things should apply to all of the people of God. Just as a bishop 
should be blameless. Well, we need to be blameless, who are not bishops. He must not be arrogant. Well, Christians shouldn't be arrogant. He mustn't be quick-tempered. Well, Christians shouldn't get angry uh, at the drop of a hat. They mustn't be a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. And Christians shouldn't be all of these things. So although Paul was writing to Titus about bishops in this particular section of Scripture, these same things apply to all Christians. And then we have a look in verse 8. It says that these bishops and all Christians should be hospitable, a lover of goodness. And we should love the things that are good. We should love the things of God. We should love the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these are things that are good. And any other form of goodness, we should love these things. A bishop should be master of himself. Now, one of the reasons why a bishop is a bishop or an elder is an elder is because they have reached the place where they are master themselves. They've learnt about being self-controlled. They should be upright, holy and self-controlled. It continues on in that verse. But they must be master of themselves. They must have control over the passions and lusts and desires of the flesh. And for other Christians who may not yet have come to the place where they are master themselves. This is the aspiration for all Christians. We should all aspire to be masters of ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the working of Jesus Christ in our lives. The next scripture is down in uh, Luke chapter 6, and I'm going to read from verse 32 to 36. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the selfish. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Now, again, we see here aspects of goodness. He says, if you love those who love you, or if you do good to those who do good to you, or if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, all of these things, he's saying, if you do that, well, then you're only reciprocating what's being given to you. You know, if people love you, it's easy to love them back. If you do good to someone else, uh, or they do good to you, it's easy to do good in return. And if you lend to someone expecting to get it back, then you know, you're not doing anything out of the ordinary. Even the people in the world do these things. So he's saying there, what credit is that to you? And he says, well, it's no credit at all. You're doing what the rest of the world does. But in verse 35, he says, but love your enemies. Love your enemies. Now, the people of the world hate their enemies, but we are called to love our enemies. And reading on, it says, and do good. Do good. We need to love our enemies and we need to do good, to, not just to the people who will do us good in return. We need to do good to our enemies. How do we do that? Well, we can pray for them. We can help them in whatever way we can when they need the help. We don't have to go around and, uh, and, and look for things to do for them. But if the situation rises and you can help your enemy, then you help them. And going on, uh, and lend expecting nothing in return. So when you give someone something, let's say someone needs money, for instance, you know, and certainly in these times, these uncertain times, there are a lot of people who are out of work and some people may need money. And if they need money and you lend them money, don't expect to get it back. You know, you're trying to help them. And if they're a brother in Christ, brother or sister in Christ, then even more so, don't expect to get anything in return because the Lord loves a cheerful giver. So expect nothing in return and your reward will be great 
and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the selfish. Now, your reward will be great in the Lord, because, as I said, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. He loves those who love him, and even more so, who love his people. So if you're in a position to be able to help someone, help them. If you're in the position to be able to give or to lend or to strengthen or to speak to someone, then do that because the Lord loves that. He wants his people to be collectively strong. This is why he has a church. And finally, it says in verse 36, be merciful even as your father is merciful. So all of these attributes are things that God does for his people and we need to do likewise. Just as God has been merciful to us, in all of the issues and problems that we've got, then we need to learn to be merciful to those who are around us as well. Uh, the next scripture I want to look at is in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm reading two verses, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So here is an aspect of what goodness looks like. Now, we see all these things in the first verse, in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you with all malice. These things are not good. These things are bad. So we need to put those things away from us. So goodness does not look like any of these things. Whenever we do any of these things, we are not acting in goodness. We are not following in the ways of the Lord, in the ways of God. But in verse 32, he says, be kind to one another. And this is something we can do. Be kind. Now, be a kind person. You don't have to jump back when someone attacks you. You, you don't have to uh, attack back, is what I'm basically saying. We don't take vengeance. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Be loving and caring for other people. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. These are aspects of goodness. We have been forgiven, so therefore we should forgive. In the same way that the Lord forgave us, all of our sins, if someone does something wrong against us, well, we need to forgive them as well. This is what goodness looks like. Okay, uh, going over into the next scripture, um, which is in the second letter of Peter, and I'm reading chapter 1, verses 5 down to 11. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these things are yours and abound, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be the more zealous to confirm your call and election, for if you do this, you will never fall. So there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Okay, what Peter has written here is a process. This is a process, and there are many processes, and we know that what I'm studying here are the fruits of the Spirit, and the fruits of the Spirit are something that appear as the result of a process. As we grow in the Lord, as we learn how to walk in the Spirit, as we mature in Christ, then we begin to show the fruits of the Spirit, of which goodness is one of those. Now, that process takes time, just like fruit on a tree. It can take years before a tree uh, grows to the point where it uh, bears fruit. And what Peter has shown us here is another process, which is part of this whole thing. So he says here in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Okay, so we start off with a bit of faith. Everyone has a bit of faith. They believe that Jesus Christ came, that he died for us, he died for our sins, and he rose again. 
Now, that might be the minimum amount of faith that people have got. They believe that Jesus died and he was raised again. They may not know why, but they believe in Jesus Christ and they believe that he came to save us. So that faith, and he's saying, all right, now supplement that faith with virtue. Now, virtue is goodness. Virtue is about being good, which is what I'm talking about today. So we need to have this faith, and then we need to learn how to act in a good manner, in a good way. This is a supplement to our faith. We learn how to be good. And we continue on there and supplement that, your virtue, with knowledge. So the next thing we have to do is we learn to be good. Then we have to seek the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we do by studying the Bible, uh, listening to talks or podcasts like this one. We learn to supplement our virtue with knowledge so that we know more about Christ. We know more about the way we should live. And then we go on in the next step in this process and knowledge was self-control. So as we learn these things and as we learn how to walk in the spirit, we gain self-control. We need to gain self-control because we can't afford to be driven by the passions and desires of our flesh. If we're a person who is angry, and there are a lot of people out there who are angry for no reason, they're just angry people, we need to learn how to control that anger, which is a passion of the flesh, so that it doesn't take control of us. We need to control it. And we do that by walking in the spirit, which I've spoken about uh, in other places and written about a lot on my blog. So self-control, and then we... we um, we supplement our self-control with steadfastness. So with all of this, we are beginning to become very stable. We are steady, we are solid, nothing can shake us. And we uh, supplement our steadfastness with godliness. We're learning to be like God. We are being transformed into the image of God as we are transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And then we supplement godliness with brotherly affection. And this is the, the affection that we have for our brotherhood in Christ. All of our brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are, we are a family and we need to think of ourselves as a family. And like brothers and sisters, we need to bear with one another, you know, the pains and the joys and the ups and the downs. And with affection, we need to help one another just as we will need help ourselves from time to time. And finally, we supplement this brotherly affection with love because that's the ultimate aim for all things. And this is the end place of this process that Peter's written in here, love. Love is the thing that lasts forever because God is love and he's eternal. And so when his love is present in our lives and when we are emulating his love in our lives, then that is permanence, that is life. The final scripture I want to have a look at now is in uh, 1 Thessalonians, and I'm reading chapter 5, verses 15 to 23. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophesying, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here now we find that um, we're learning more about the aspects of what is good, the aspects of goodness. He says here in verse 15, See that none of you repays evil for evil. Why? Because to do that is not good. That's bad. But always seek to do good to one another and to all. So if someone does evil to you, then you don't retaliate. If someone does evil to you, instead, you can, you can bring it to their attention if that's possible. Uh, if it's not, you can always pray for them because that's good. And he says, rejoice always, pray constantly. These are aspects of goodness. 
These are aspects of goodness. Give thanks in all circumstances. Well, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, let's take our current circumstances. And I'm talking about everyone in the world right now. Right now, we're all suffering the problems of this coronavirus that is everywhere. And you might say, well, how can we give thanks in all circumstances? Well, we can thank the Lord because he has his hand on his people. He has allowed this to happen for a very specific reason. We're told that in the end times, in the lead up to the end times, in the lead up to the time when Christ returns, there will be pestilences. And coronavirus is a pestilence. I'm not saying that this is the end of the world. It's not. It's just another sign to state that Jesus is coming soon. And there are many other signs. He talks about uh, wars and rumours of wars and earthquakes and famines and uh, the roaring of the seas and waves and signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and all these other sorts of things, which are signs of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. So this coronavirus that we're seeing now is just another sign. It's an indication. And his people, when they see this, they shouldn't become despondent. They shouldn't be in despair. We should not despair uh, as the rest of the world does because we know that this is supposed to happen. We're told that. If you read Luke 21, you'll find out. We're told that this had to happen. And what it means for us is that the Lord is coming soon. This is the great value that we see out of these pestilences and things like that. The rest of the world... No, well, they're in all kinds of strife. They're full of fear and panic and distress. But as Christians, we need to recognize what these signs are and know that it means the Lord is coming soon. And that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. And uh, it goes on. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophesying. But test everything. And that's the other important thing. We have to test everything, just like I spoke about the coronavirus. Test it. Is it a bad thing? Well, it's a bad thing for anyone that gets it. But is it a bad thing in terms of the bigger picture? No, it's not, because it's an indicator as a sign of the times. Test everything. Hold fast what is good. And that's the important thing. We have to hold fast to what is good. And in these trying times, what is good is the reminder and the, uh, the signs indicating the return of the Lord is not far off. So I just want you to consider... Uh, for a moment, can you see now what goodness is and why it's important and how to act in the spirit of goodness? God is good, yes, and we need to be like him. So we need to learn how to be good as well. So a quick prayer point. Spend a moment in prayer to ask the Lord to help you to learn and to grow in the goodness of God. So that's it for this week. Next time, we will look at the next of the fruits of the spirit, which is faithfulness. So until then, this is John from the freegiftfromgod.com podcast signing off. Wishing you a safe and a very healthy and godly week ahead. God bless.